This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Climate change brings extreme storms and extreme temperatures, and it also brings extinction of entire species of living things. And Donald Trump doesn't believe it or doesn't care. For comment, we turn to Elizabeth Colbert. She's been a staff writer at The New Yorker since 1999. Her three-part series for the magazine on global warming, titled The Climate of Man, won the National Magazine Award and several other honors. And her unforgettable book, The Sixth Extinction, won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction. I'm delighted to be able to say, Elizabeth Colbert, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Trump recently proposed opening 9 million acres of public lands in western states to oil and gas drilling by abolishing the Obama-era protections for this bird, the greater sage-grouse. If you Google sage-grouse and Donald Trump, you get more than 200,000 results, and many of them report that Democratic governors, as well as Republicans, praised Trump's proposal, including... Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, a Democrat, and Oregon Governor Kate Brown, also a Democrat. So the problem is not just Donald Trump. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, the the sage grouse is, you know, I have to confess I'm not entirely sure it's going to be litigated. um, You know, what's going to happen to the poor sage grouse is undoubtedly going to be bad uh, because its habitat is becoming, you know, fragmented terribly. But I think that the greater point that, that you're uh, suggesting, which is that, you know, there's a tremendous pressure to develop a lot of Western resources from both sides of the aisle, um, and I should say Eastern, too. I don't know why I stopped at the West, even though we know that, you know, putting in more fossil fuel infrastructure is exactly the wrong thing to be doing, remains sort of a a tremendous Folly, you know, that's just our political folly that unfortunately is is bipartisan at this point. But why should the sage grouse be our main protection against more oil and gas drilling? Why is it the job of the sage grouse to keep it in the ground? Rolling back the protection of the sage grouse, this is one of many, many efforts there are to basically remove protections on certainly on public land and also to a certain extent on private land and, you know, full speed ahead uh, on getting as much oil and gas out of the ground as we can. And coal, I should also add, you can't really think of anything stupider uh, to be doing at a moment where we realize that our, one of, you know, the major problems in the world, I guess I would argue the major problem in the world right now, uh, is, is climate change. So people care a lot about the possible extinction of a single species a few people care about the sage-grouse, but a lot of people care about the pandas or the tigers or the rhinos. They don't care so much about the larger patterns that you take up in your book, The Sixth Extinction. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Well, I think, you know, that gets back to this issue of, right, storytelling, what do people, what tugs at our heartstrings, what what gets our attention in a world full of distractions and stories and problems, you know, wrestling for our attention, human, non-human. And, you know, certainly if you look at the big organizations that are devoted to conservation, you know, they always show you a picture of 
of, as you say, of, you know, a panda or, or, you know, maybe you get a frog. You, you certainly don't usually get, uh, you know, some kind of creepy crawly invertebrate who, you know, is probably uh, the majority of the extinctions in the world or, you know, actually probably in the invertebrate world simply because the majority of species in the world are, are invertebrates. So looking at the big global patterns, um, is really it's really hard for people to get their minds around that, and I really appreciate that it's hard for people to get their minds around that. We all live in a particular place and are familiar with a particular flora and fauna, which for most you know people in the U.S. is a combination of introduced species and native species. And if you live in a city, you know it's it's a very very, or even if you live in the country these days, it's a very already denuded. You know we we have already eliminated a lot of creatures, so. Um, I think that, you know, that's exactly, I guess, why I wrote The Six Extinction, to try uh, to bring this issue in all of its um, import uh, home to people in some way. But I also ended up, you know, arranging it, sort of sort of narrating it through different species because, you know, a pattern is not really a good story. Your uh, scientists say... Part of the problem is that there are several forces that lead to species extinction. Deforestation, loss of habitat, invasive species. And you say in the sixth extinction that what we're doing to the chemistry of the ocean is number one. Well, a lot of scientists would say that changing the chemistry of the oceans, which is actually pretty difficult to do, it has occurred very, very rarely in Earth history, uh, because the oceans are are vast and they're chemically buffered against change, um, but nevertheless, by dumping so much CO2 into the atmosphere, we are changing the chemistry of the oceans. That that is probably, in, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, the most dangerous thing we're doing. And why is that? Well, I think that they that is because. For a couple of reasons, first of all, as I say, simply the oceans, you know, are so much of the the biosphere. Really, you know, we're land creatures, but but really, the oceans cover most of the surface of the earth, as any as any kid learns. So that's where a lot a lot of life on Earth resides. Um, but secondly, as I say, because you know, life on land, you know, climate change is uh, certainly going to be a very 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 big stressor for a lot of creatures and can drive a lot of extinctions, probably. Um, but there have been temperature swings in, you know, in the history of planet Earth. Uh, there quite possibly, you know, has never been, uh, or only at very times of extreme uh, biological crisis, uh, has there been a change in ocean chemistry that's occurring as rapidly as right now. Um, so when you think about it, creatures probably just do not have uh, if you don't have any history with something, the odds that you're going to be able to adapt to it, uh, you know, are, are a lot lower. Uh, so the the way that we are screwing with the oceans, uh, which I also point out, are the source of you know most of our oxygen and things like that, uh, is, is 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 bound to have very significant consequences. And there's an unevenness to all of the. Uh effects of climate change on species extinction. While many species are going extinct, a few are thriving. You call them disaster taxa, T-A-X-A, a great name. Tell us about disaster taxa. 
Well, there are some, I mean, once again, intuitively people know that, you know, you know, rats do quite well in urban environments. Um, mosquitoes are doing really well. Uh, there are certain attacks of cockroaches. You know, there are certain groups of creatures that follow people around, uh, and, and when humans create a disturbance, we'll call it that, or build a city or, you know, whatever we do, tend to thrive at the expense uh, as, as other species cannot, more, uh, you know, I don't know what to call them. They're not exactly delicate, but they're adapted to different conditions. So there are there are species, certain species that thrive on disturbance, and that's even true in a natural, in the natural world, as it were. You know, there are certain species that, when there's a big forest fire, which you know had, there have been throughout history, would come in, would be the first ones to establish in a in an area that had been devastated by fire. So there are certain, you know, that's a pattern, that's a natural pattern, and now we also see that humans are a kind of disturbance that favor certain species. The reviewer of your book, The Sixth Extinction in Harper's, pointed to one solution, I guess you could call it. Evolution will take its course. Life recovered from the fifth extinction, the death of the dinosaurs. It took a long time, but the Earth has plenty of time to recover from the current one, the sixth. After we are gone, the rats and the cockroaches and the other disaster taxa will thrive and evolve. What do you think about that for the next chapter of evolution on Earth? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think if you're willing to take that very long view that, you know, 10 or 20 million years from now, there'll be a new a new fauna and a new flora that will emerge from the wreckage that we will leave. Uh, yes, that's true, uh, probably. <laughs> but I don't think people really think in those terms. I think most of us are concerned about the world that our kids are going to inherit and our grandchildren, uh, and that's probably, you know, as far out as we get. And we're not even we're not doing a pretty, pretty lousy job uh, of even handing over a habitable planet to our kids. So, you know, I suppose if you want to take comfort in that idea, you know, I, I don't want to prevent you from doing so. But I, I, I don't think that's actually um, very useful given this current situation. It's easy to feel hopeless about species extinction after reading your book. But your book does not end with uh, what is to be done, you know, a six-point program. You don't say, you know, drive a Prius or avoid plastic bags, it seems like that won't really do it. Do you have hope at this point? Well, I, I think someone recently made a, gave a talk. He said, you know, what we, what we need is not hope, but, but, but courage. I mean, I think there's way too much talk about, you know, are you hopeful, are you not like your mood? That, that's not really relevant um, at this point. What's, what's relevant is, you know, are we going to take action or not? You know, increasingly we see the effects of, of climate change and all of the other problems that are in the book, and we, to a certain extent, and only to a certain extent, I want to say, know what we have to do. And if we did those things that we know how to do, and we know that we, you know, are going to have to do, if we did them as rapidly as possible, we would uh, certainly make a difference. Okay, that I don't want to say we would not still have very high extinction rates because we probably would, but we would be uh, bringing that curve down. And we're not doing those things. So until we start doing those things, you know, 
we don't really deserve, you know, to be very hopeful, to be honest. Elizabeth Colbert, her book is The Sixth Extinction. Thank you, Elizabeth. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.